0: From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice.
1: Ricky Novak, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Oh, look, thank you for joining me and taking the time on this Friday afternoon at the end of the week. I really appreciate it and can't wait to hear your answers to some of these questions about the woman's voice. So let's get straight into it. And I want to start by asking a question that uh, really Helps me get a clear idea of who you are, and I know there's always been there's always been something that pushes me to be the best I can be. And I wanted to ask you what was the driving force that reconnected you with the voice that's led you to be here today.
1: Perhaps there are many things, but in, uh, in, if I was to choose one thing that was the driving force, voice, it was to trust my inner gut and my instinct. Um, Because my voice has to be the loudest voice. My voice has to be the one that overrides all the other voices and the congestion and the noise that's going on in a really busy world. So my voice is the one that I've got to trust. My voice is the one that I've got to listen to because that will be my guide. Um, And I, I think the situations that change for all of us in our lives Um, are going to, in a way, determine what that voice sounds like at different times in our lives, Um, but we've got to trust our gut and trust our instinct that that we are in the right place. And if we're not in the right place, we've got to find a way to listen to the voice that takes us where we need to be.
0: When you talk about your voice, are you talking about your voice in... Uh, respect of your physical voice or your internal voice or your gut voice, you know, does that need to override the imposter
1: voice in your head or is it the outside world? For me, it's the inner voice. It's the voice that touches the somatics, the, the stomach, um, which goes to my, you know, to my gut, which goes to my head, which goes to my heart. And um, I learned to trust that early on because it was the one thing I could control. When everything else might have Mm. spiralled in different ways at different times as you're growing up and and you start your career and your family, there are lots of voices that will talk to you and tell you. um, But the voice that gave me the most control had to be, as far as I was concerned, my inner voice. So it Mm. came from my gut.
0: Mm, and that's really raising some um, ideas for me to to bring forward because when you say that your voice needs to be the loudest voice, that doesn't mean that it's the loudest in the room necessarily, does it? It just means for you personally and your soul, it's the one that you're going to really take notice of the most, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely, Lisa. It's, it's not the volume because we often don't listen to volume. volume, for many people just becomes noise, and you can't decipher what's behind it. Is it anger, is it frustration? is it is it jealousy? is is it um, fr- frustration, whatever it might be? so the the voice that comes from within is has to override the emotions uh, mm-hmm. that others might be displaying, mm-hmm. and the trust in ourselves that, We can, maybe not always, maybe not in every situation, but um, the trust we have in ourselves to try and listen to the voice that we know intrinsically is going to take us forward more powerfully than than any other voice because we've got to live with that. And Mm -hmm. if we don't live with the voice, um, we certainly won't be, we don't know where we're going. We've got to hear that because that's our guide. I'm um, absolutely so we're going to be open to listening to our guide. And, and that
0: to me, um, it's come from within. And I love that word trust. That's my favorite word is that we need to be able to trust ourselves because from that space, we can then voice our opinions and move effortlessly in, in, in our all conversations. Yeah. How do you feel your experiences and choices have affected the tone of your voice?
1: I think it's changed over time as I as I've done a lot of study and work on personality styles and profiles mm. for myself, and then I deliver that in my training and coaching work. And what I've come to realise is that we have to nuance our voice to fit the intensity and intensity of, of the personalities where we and the situations we're with, and. Um, the, the the different experiences that we have will guide us in many ways for for what's coming. As long as we remember what's important, and, and by that I mean the experiences we've had in the past are only good if we understand what we learned from them. Mm. So if I go back into the experiences that were perhaps the most difficult, the most challenging for me. They're the ones what we call the trial by fire. They're the ones i probably learned most from. Um, and, And then it's about how do I adapt the next time I'm in a difficult situation or with a difficult person who's undergoing a difficult situation? What have I learned about the voice and how to modulate the voice, how to pace the voice, how to staccato, the voice, if I need to um, and, and work with it and and be playful at other times. So mm-hmm. I can match and mirror the energy, but always come back to what is the goal of the conversation? Mm-hmm. And I think in my experiences in training for so such a long time and in facilitation, and um, we we have to be really clear on the signals that we're giving. With our voice and our tone, um, because that will often elicit similar from others as well. Mm. In
0: my practice, when we talk about tone and experiences, because the voice is so sticky, it picks up all of your life experience, how educated you are, where you were born up, your socioeconomics, everything it picks up over your life and then is reflected and often leads into conversations. And sometimes it tells stories that we don't want told. A good case example of that is, you know, the the middle aged woman who's been scorned and she needs to get back into the workforce often she'll lead into that conversation and it's quite a bitter, heavy, desperate tone. Mm-hmm. How do you help your clients, if indeed at all, or yourself to make sure that that doesn't lead into that conversation?
1: Okay, that, that's a, um, it's a really important point, um, because. If I could start with how I do it um, first and then I'll go on to my mm. helping clients. I'd like to separate them if I can. Um, I, I always believe in my training in the theatre that there's a privilege of the platform and mm. the platform is not there for therapy and the platform is there as a position for us to express and ex- express ourselves. So we give people experiences, not explanations. So, so for me, um, uh, as a presenter, uh, I, I have to ground myself and, re- and remember that this is not about me on the platform or in that stage or in that co- coaching room or training room. This is all about the client. And un- unless I'm in the mindset to deliver with the client first and foremost, it becomes totally um, solo-centric and that's not going to serve my clients. So, if I'm and I've learned over time, even if things are going on in my life that have been difficult and challenging, with all sorts of you know health issues in families or whatever it is, I have to I have to actually put it to the side when I'm on the stage, put it to the side when I'm in on on uh, with a client, put it to the side because it's remiss of me to take that into a coaching room or training room, and I and I because you know, the stage is not a therapy place and we have to be really careful to bring good energy and good spirit. And if we're not in that zone and really can't overcome it, I think what I've learned is that there may be times when we've got to pull back from an engagement to protect our own, ourselves, and also not to expose an audience and make them feel terribly uncomfortable because that's not right.
0: That's a great point. It's really important to identify your state before you walk onto that stage because you know the whole fake it till you make it can only go so far. And if you're in if you're in the wrong state and I use the example of a lady who I was working with once, and and I work on identifying the sympathetic vibration that I feel when people are speaking. And she would go onto stage, and she would, you know, sometimes be fantastic, and everyone was there. And then she'd go onto stage, and it was crickets, you know. And she couldn't identify what was going on, so she started working with me. And what we quickly identified was that. When she was speaking to me, just in general conversation, I could feel this sense of choking up underneath my throat. I'm like, Ugh! and I, I'm trained to know that that's not me. I'm picking that's something that's coming from her. And I said, why am I feeling like I'm choking? And she was mortified. Absolutely, could not believe that I could feel this. And she said, when I was six years old, my my brother choked me until I was unconscious. And I said, well. Depending on your state, when you go on that stage, if you're not leaving everything behind, if you're not full of energy, completely 100% present, that vibration is going to resonate out to your audience and they're going to pick it up as there's just something about it that we don't like.
1: Absolutely. And, And also I think what comes with that is having um, videoed many of my presentations and hearing back when I think I'm doing something and it comes back and I go oh actually you know what that came across too strong not strong enough too long and you learn to listen differently like someone teaches you just bird watch and you start to see birds in the trees that you've never seen before or little things and you go I never would have seen that if you hadn't taught me how to see. Mm. And the voice is the same. We have to be taught how to listen. And mm. when we when we do that, even our mobile phone message bank, and whatever messages we leave, when you listen back to it, you think, "Oh, well, that doesn't sound like me." But mm. if that's the voice you're hearing, and that's not the voice you believe best represents you and the intent of what you're on about redo the message so absolutely yeah so if I go back to your earlier question how do I help clients well in coaching sessions I very I quickly pick up on um the mood and Mm. I will call it very early on and I'll say it seems to me today you're you are feeling x tell me Mm. if I'm I'm spot on and they go how did you know what what do you mean how did you know What, what 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 I'm and I knew it. You know, <laughs> you, you came out like a bull from a gate, you were impatient, you were five minutes late to the, to the Zoom call, this, that, and the other, or you were fidgeting and you were distracted and looking everywhere. Well, don't have to really be too clued to pick up the signals, but unless we call it, mm. it, it won't lose its power. And we mm. want it to lose that power and actually give people permission to reset. Mm. So, um, I, I remember flying into um, to Adelaide once to to work with a client, and I hadn't met met her before. <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> I hadn't met her, and when I got to, but she had shared a fraught background with the company, and they'd asked me to coach her to help her work through some of the issues. But I knew when I met her or saw someone at the other end of the gang the landmark that it must have been her because she was fidgeting here and there and all sorts of things <laughs> and when we got into the room I said oh I had a really big flight it was bumpy as and I'm really quite anxious can I do you mind if I just take a couple of deep breaths and um because I've really got to ground myself before we start and she looked at me like how much is this costing me or the company? How much time are you going to take? And I said, No, no, just, I promise you, it'll only be a couple of minutes because I, oh, just, just work with me. If you'd like to, how about you do it with me? And she sort of looked, you know, rolled her eyes and said, Oh, okay. Anyway, I took four deep breaths in. I held it and I exhaled my breath. Did it again. And I slowly exhaled. My breath. For she was in tears, Aww. and it wasn't my intent to make her cry. My intent was to give her breath, hmm. because I don't think she'd breathed in about five years. It sounded to me that she had had. Um, she was blocked, and I wanted her to breathe so she could tell me in her words, in her voice. What the hell was going on? Because yeah. I didn't want to have a bias from her company and hear all of those things. I wanted to know if it was a fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the truth in what's the story? The yeah. And you also said a key word there, intent. The intent behind your sound. I'm always working on how you want your listener or your audience to feel. And I loved the fact that you you said it's not about you. It's about the experience that you're giving to that listener and the intention behind their sound. So when you go on stage or you're working with your your clients, how do you want them to feel? Yeah.
1: There's a phrase that we always would use when I was training in the theatre was, "How do you want your audience to feel, think, and do mm. after they leave?" The performance and then I took that into the training room and and it was how do I want my delegates to think feel and act mm. and when I and I asked that question when I'm doing a um a consultation with them and that's one of the first questions as a result of this training as a result of this program how do you want your people to think feel and do mm. And then I ask them, how do you want to think, feel, and do? Yeah. And they always jump to feel. I want to feel like. Because it's an emotional response, isn't it? Yeah. It's I want to feel good, unburdened, happy, whatever it might be. And that's what we've got to go with.
0: Mm -hmm. I always want my audience to feel safe.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's,
0: That's my ultimate. Is if they feel safe, they trust me. If they trust me, they're going to invest in whatever realm that is. Correct. So Lovely. beautiful. Have you ever been afraid to speak your truth? Uh,
1: yes, but it hasn't often stopped me. Okay, but, that's a great point. Um, have I been afraid? I've been afraid if I've been ill-prepared.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been afraid if I have no idea the context of what's going on around me in the sense that I um, will it backfire, mm-hmm. but if I was to define the work afraid I don't feel as though it's not the same fear I would get if I felt um, my life was threatened mm. it's a fear that I would say I could lose credibility or I could lose an opportunity mm. but i have I, I believe in my work, and I believe in the um, my learning and and trust myself to oh if it doesn't work out the first time i 'll find a better way, and i'm not frightened to 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 do that so have I been frightened to speak my truth? Uh, yes, but as I said, um, I feel it would be remiss of me not to at least um, Share my beliefs so others actually know what is important and my perspective. Um, And and in my view, people who are scared are only scared because they haven't explored the benefit of what they bring, and they're second guessing themselves.
0: Absolutely, that preparedness is primary to overcome. That fear of getting up on the stage. And I really like that you've identified ultimately there's there's two different fear fears. One is fear that you're going to, you know, get eaten by a shark, and that's is you know a real fear if you're in the ocean, or the fear of credibility. And I think that sometimes those lines are really blurred in that the fear of getting up on stage and speaking because public speaking is the number one fear in the world, okay, is that blurred line between are you really going to die if you get up on stage, whereas they, some people will say, well, I'd rather die than get up on stage, which is, I mean, the
1: irony, that's crazy. But in actual fact, if, if, there, if that was the case, I think we say that, but in actual fact, if... People don't really want to do that. They they mm. don't they don't believe it intrinsically. It's I'd rather die. It's it's a saying. It's a statement. But mm. I'm not sure if we would choose that over mm. over living. Can I mm. can I share an example with you? Mm. Um, yes. Okay, I think this is an important one. It qualifies. And um, a number of years ago, I was presenting in Kuala Lumpur, and um, there were about 200 senior executives in the room, and it was a very um, uh, government um, field room. A lot of Uh, senior government officials, women on one side, men on the other, women very um, covered, men very suited up. Um, And I only had a couple of minutes to get prepared with lapel mic and get on on the platform. And I come to do a presentation on um, how, how to negotiate in times of difficulty so it was quite an irony actually and and I'll tell you why so um, I only had a couple of minutes because the person who had invited me from John had invited me just before the presentation to have apple tea now we had one cup at eight o'clock in the morning the presentation wasn't till nine and at 8.15 he gave me another and at 8.30 he gave me another by quarter to nine I, I was floating and by five to nine he said oh you better go on the platform but I I couldn't exit to a comfort stop on the way because I had an audience ready and waiting. So I walked straight onto the platform, microphone fell off, um, notes fell. It it was an unmitigated disaster. And I began, and here's the thing I began my presentation in a voice that I did not own. It was Mm not mine. I used every big leadership word that I could find in my head because I didn't have my anchor time. And I, leveled on for about five minutes and it was terrible. Mm. And I knew that it was terrible and so did the 200 people in that room. Mm. And I had a choice. Which voice was I going to continue with? Was it the voice that came out like that and tried to be something she wasn't? Or was it going to be the voice of authenticity and me because I can't actually be anybody else? I've learned that I have to be me or I'm not right for you, that's fine, but I have to be me. So I, I stopped and, the interesting, I looked down at the, at the platform um, and the gentleman who had booked me was sitting there with his hand over his eyes like this and I thought, that, I know what that body language means. That means he's not real happy. Um, and I had a choice. So I actually stopped and I said, and I walked to the front of the stage and I said, you know, I've got to come clean. I've come to you to do a presentation on how to negotiate in difficult times. And I don't think I've started well. In fact, I know I haven't started well. In fact, if I could rewind and go back five minutes or even 10, um, I reckon I could come out and just give you a fabulous presentation that was that really I came to give you, not the one that I just started with. Mm-hmm. Would that be all right? And I started to laugh because I think I was so, it, it was, it was, I called on my gut to tell me what do I do here? Mm. And um, and I nodded and I smiled. And you know what happens when you nod and you smile? Exactly what you're doing. You're nodding and you're smiling back. And I said, Oh, thank God, thank you so much for giving me permission. Now, I'm going to go back over here and I'm going to start and you're going to pretend you've never seen me before and I'm just going to come out for the first time. Everybody started laughing and clapping so and stood up. And I said, well, I've got a standing ovation before I've even begun. That's great. But Love it. Love I, I went out and I gave a presentation. It, it was fine. It, it, it wasn't world shattering, but nobody cared. You know why they didn't care? Because the message that I came to give on negotiation was negotiating your true self Hmm. and that's what came across so it it was a it was a defining moment for me and I Hmm. couldn't have planned it because you know if you plan a hoax it's not nearly as much you know it can work but this was totally from the heart totally from the gut and I had to just call it
0: and, Absolutely. And that, and I think that vulnerability in that moment and to be 100% true to yourself is so testament, you know, people run away from vulnerability. And what if I make a fool of myself? Well, if you make a fool of yourself, own it. Take the opportunity to turn that into a humorous moment. It's, I've got a similar story if I could share for the listeners. When I stood on stage, I had a 100-piece orchestra behind me, 2,000 people out in front of me, and I was heavily pregnant. And I came out onto the stage and they did this huge introduction and, they, and the conductor's standing there and he's got his baton in the hand and he looks over to me to just give me the signal to go. And I just had... Nothing I didn't know where I was I didn't know what song I was singing (laughs) I had absolutely nothing And I just stood there And I put Here's the diva standing in front Who's just completely missed the entry And he just very graciously Turned to the audience And lowered his hands with his baton And he turned to me And I just put my hands on my hips And moved a little bit And did a little moment And he said are you right now? And I said, yeah, let's go. And I looked out to the audience and we took off. And it was the same thing, standing ovation, just, just absolutely beside themselves because in that moment I said, I'm just like you. I We're having this, this interaction that you couldn't pay enough money for. And it was such a gold moment. And thank you for sharing that because that sense of vulnerability, make the most out of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always say to people, We've got, we're going to make mistakes. Things will happen. But if you, if it doesn't work out and you, your communication isn't the best it can be, um, the, the earlier you repair it, the, the, the quicker you can move on. By walking away and tossing and turning and hitting your pillow and, and, and crying or doing whatever it is and yeah. being ashamed or embarrassed, It doesn't resolve it, and and the reason it doesn't really resolve it is because you can never reclaim something a week later than you can in the moment. So I say to my clients, if you make a mistake, don't worry, but worry if you don't rectify it. Then -hmm. you've got a reason to worry. We're all imperfect, and that makes us exactly like everybody else we've all got different skills in different ways i happen to love what i do in my field but don't put me in front of you know an engineering um, candidate mm-hmm. doing project management and figures because he's going to look at me and go oh i don't think so so go and where you, stay you know, in your lane isn't it stay, stay in, your your in your lane and get help where you need mm-hmm. and don't be don't be too too perfect to ask mm. for help. And mm. per, because perfection, in my view, just gets in the way of progress. And if we're so, you know, own that perfection, we're only going to stall. So, mm. you know, many, many times. Absolutely. So, do you
0: love the sound of your own voice? I can't say I, I'm
1: used to it. <laughs> it's my voice. <laughs> I don't think. I, I don't think much about like or loving it or not liking it. Mm. Um, I can work with it. I can be the 6 o'clock newsreader when I need to make a point in a story. Mm. I Authority. can be playful and 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 work with it and modulate and mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can make the point. Mm. I know I've got the capacity to use my voice like an instrument um, and or like a painting and pull out the color in the voice um, and oh, I've learned over time to use it perhaps a little bit more softly. there are times when it was too big for the yeah. room um, because of my energy so I learned when I was listening a lot to, feedback and listening to videos I thought whoa I I can come across pretty pretty strong and I don't want to do that if it's inappropriate I can ham it up sometimes but the sensitivity to the audience the situation the time you've got time to build the 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 color and the tone and the impact and then there's a time to actually pull back
0: yeah, you've got that beautiful flexibility, that that agility that can happen in the voice, which is fantastic. You mentioned color, and that's the next question. So, thank you. If you had to describe these voices as a color, what would it be? So, let's start with Oprah Winfrey. Uh,
1: I, I think she is colors of red, mm-hmm. colors okay. and shades of red. She goes from empathic soft not pale pink she's empathic she's caring she's gifted and she builds empathy so it's a it's a it's a good pink it's a deep pink goes going right up to telling it like it is baby and uh no holds barred. so she's red she she's good she's good she's good
0: what about donald trump next question
1: (laughs) (laughs) right what about kamala harris kamala harris um, she intrigues me. Actually, she intrigues me. I I don't yet know enough about her, but I I love her facial expression. Mm. I love her beautiful smile. Mm. I love her open eyes. I love her body language. She yeah. walks. Her voice walks with her. Mm. There's
0: could... no barrier to entry no, is there. She's, it's she's, just she's,
1: yeah. It's like that expression, you know. She's comfortable in her own socks, and I get mm. a really strong sense she. You know, she can be dynamic by standing on the spot because Mm. she can work with that Mm. and she can work with the voice. But Mm -hmm. what I'm keen to hear is what she says. And I I must admit I don't yet know enough to make a a determination if that colour is going to change. So I'd probably say she's, um, you know, on on a shade like Oprah. Yes, I think so too.
0: I'm seeing more green. In it though, I think that for some reason there's there's a, a, a more tree green color coming through for me, um, which is a slightly different tone to Oprah. But you've still got those primary, you know. It's very earthy. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it's not a, a stark green. That's for sure. All right. So, in reflection to that, what is the color of your voice?
1: Yes, good question. I was thinking about that when uh, I I saw your questions and and, uh, I I guess mine is just going to be variations of of a theme of Paganini (laughs) to use. It's going to change, you know, the rainbow colours. Um, I'm mood-driven. I'm high energy, but I'm mood-driven and I'm sensitive to the energy around me. Mm -hmm. So I will even, and I think that's part of my learning as well, so I've I, well, I might like to be a red. There are times that I'm a green or right. a softer pink. Um, so that comes with experience, I think.
0: Yeah, and you've got control. That's the difference. The point of difference is that you you can change it to whatever you need to in the in the in the room, so that you're mirroring the energy of that room. Um, I'm going to move on to. A question that I see prevalent in my practice that many people suffer from the imposter syndrome today and have you suffered from this or do you see many people suffering from this in your practice and why do you think that it's so prevalent in today's society?
1: Let me let me answer those questions in order do I suffer from it um I don't believe I suffer from the imposter syndrome. I think I've worked hard and earned the right to do what I do. Um, I, I might not always feel as though I've got a handle on every aspect of my role sometimes, but I will I will ask for help all the time. So, uh, even when I've been in big situations that have called on me to be really big, um, I've worked with it and and I, I i've enjoyed that experience um in the scheme of things when you look at what people are going through globally um i think people get caught up in this imposter syndrome for the wrong reason mm. Com- compare apples with apples compare you know big problems just to how you feel about being in a room with people who are you know, smarter than you. Is that an imposter? How can I end up here? I'm not nearly as smart as them. Well, you must be, deb- you're in the room. You're in so the room. You're in the room. So yeah. you know, somewhere along the line, you've you've managed to get in the room. If you don't produce the good work, then it's not necessarily imposter. It could be that it's just not your skill set. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I was brought up a little bit differently. My parents were Holocaust survivors. They were, they, th- they, they was resilient they worked through tremendous challenges um, and and came out, uh, my mother came out with a great sense of humour and my father came out really tenacious. Um, mm. So they didn't have time to think about am I an imposter? They, they had a life to get on on board with and yeah. and I guess my brother and I were brought up in the same way. Um Try, do it, see how you go. Get help, find out. We'll help you. That someone will help you, and things will work out. And somehow they they generally do. They generally do. And maybe there's something in that that
0: people are too. St- stuck in the way that they move forward. They don't move forward with fluidity and just go with that, whatever's put in front of them and try things and give it a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It doesn't need to define you. It just seems that people get so stuck in that, well, I'm not the best. So therefore I can't give it a go.
1: And there's a fear of failure. Mm. There's a fear that if I if I do it and I'm unsuccessful, People won't respect me, I'll lose my friendships, I'll lose a relationship, mm. I won't have another opportunity, um, I won't be seen to be good enough next time, I won't get that promotion. Mm. Um, and and um, that's a voice in the head. Mm. Nobody's telling you that you're telling yourself often, often that because the fear of failure precludes a lot of people from actually taking the next step. That's and I right. think that that um, that in itself. Um, is is terribly um, uh, sad for a lot of people who who don't work to their full potential because they're fearing they can't take on that responsibility, they can't do it mm. for for whatever reason that they've manufactured or been told somewhere along their continuum of life. Yeah, you've always got they a choice, have had some influence over them.
0: Mm-hmm. You've got the choice, and so it's up to you and how you step forward, isn't it? And
1: a lot, of, a a lot of women that I'm coaching senior leaders um, on that don't necessarily feel their imposter syndrome, but they often feel under enormous pressure to keep performing better and better and better because they feel they're under extreme scrutiny and they want to prove to themselves and to others that they can manage. And along the way they sometimes feel like, oh, my God, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be. I don't know how I'm going to cope. So the coping mechanism starts to fall away. And my role as a coach is to help them get rid of some of that um, excess um, baggage that they're holding on to, that they actually have to um, produce um, huge volumes of work and not delegate it out.
0: Mm. That's right. You don't have to do it all yourself, do you? No. Do you feel that women are still apologising for being in the conversation in the room?
1: I I don't see it as much as I used to, I must be honest. Mm. Um, I I think, you know, that that football conversation um, originally would preclude a lot of women. Now if women don't want to have that conversation in, in, in the workplace with people who are talking about that. Um, they just don't, and they move on and they move away, and they're not trying to buy attention in that conversation. Mm. They're not apologising. I think women have, as the new generations are coming in, they're stronger, they're as educated as, as their male counterparts. Um, there's always male and female, you know, um, different um, personality styles. But I don't think they're apologising. What they don't necessarily perhaps do as well as I would I encourage a lot of people, to, women, to do, is actually make a strong point to start with, mm-hmm. um, rather than you know they'll they'll make a point, but at the end of the point, there's an upward inflection. Yes, and that comes to the question. So what yes. they're saying sounds like, is that okay? Yes. When actually what they've said is fabulous. But um, they say it like that. You've dismissed it at the end. it sounds as though it's a bit weak. So someone else, another woman even, another man will come in and reframe that question and own it and anchor it. And everyone goes, oh, that's a good answer, that's a good question. And uh, the woman goes, oh, that wasn't that mine. So they're not apologising, but it sounds like they're apologising.
0: That's right. That's right, and, and, you know, mixed messages comes through all the time. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you are associating and working with some key influential people and executives. In your opinion, where do you believe communication and inspiration in leadership styles comes from?
1: I think it, it can come from all across the business. You know, it doesn't have to come from leadership at the top with the stripes on your shoulder and the letters after your name. Leadership is people taking responsibility for their role and committing to completing their tasks, um, committing to looking after others and having their back. Leadership is about taking initiative in across the business or personally. Um, Leadership is also about how people can identify what's right for them um, and helps them thrive. Mm. Um, it's tricky, you know, because for many people they they feel that leaders have to be at the top end of the business. But I, you know, I, I've seen some f- amazing people who are who are working in everyday garden variety jobs. They don't aspire to rule the world and the impact that they make because they give a damn, they care, they do what's fair, they do what's right, leaves everyone in their wake. And a lot of people wouldn't even know that the experience that they gave someone was over and above the silo C C suite. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I love. I love to acknowledge and celebrate um, the voices who keep the doors open, who know more about the customers than anybody else, you know, who know more about the business than anyone else because Mm. they're they're listening. Yeah, beautiful,
0: beautiful. We're going to change direction for for a little minute and, and I want to tap into the fact that you've had so much experience speaking, you know, across the world on the stage. What do you do to prepare to get on that stage?
1: Oh, what don't I do is really the mm-hmm. question. <laughs>
0: well, that's that's the point, is that it's oh, not it's- just having a fantastic presentation. Okay. There's so many layers beneath that.
1: I think, yeah, look, absolutely. I think my teaching degree gave me um a good insight into understanding um what's needed in the preparation so it can be tailored for the audience. There's a lot of preparation in the company, the people, the mood, the flavour, the texture of the company, what they want, what they're looking for. Um, when I've got that and I do pre-session questionnaires with delegates um, who are coming in and I meet them online or meet now it's meeting online but we're starting to meet face-to-face again, I go in and I do... I do like an immersion in the company if I can and and um, hang out where they hang out. So I learn the language of the company and tell me about, you know. So, so I've got the narrative right. I've got this story. Mm. I hear it from the horse's mouth, as, they, as you say. Mm. Um, so I'm sensitive then to in-jokes and what not to say. Um, and then I start on the guts of creating a, a tailored presentation Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when I've got that, it, I, I used to start, you know, like everyone writing, 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 and then I realised that that wasn't going to work for me because I'm very fluid and, and you know, I've had a couple of disasters where I wanted to read presentations and I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing? This is it's not a script. This is crazy. So I just had my icons or bullet points. And if you know your work really well, you know that um got to have enough content in there to let stuff go on the day, to um, pull stuff in from somewhere else if that's what it needs and also to focus on what the energy is from the client. So in preparation, it's not just about doing a flat one-dimensional document that you can speak out loud. It's having options within that. Stories within that, points within that that that's going to resonate. And you've got to be thinking really quickly on your feet so mm-hmm. you can know what to let go of um, if, if you get a sense that, uh-oh, that's not going to work right now. That joke worked for X company last week or that story, but where this group is going. And, and, and you've got to think so fast that if you drop that 10 minutes, what else have you got? For that ten minutes. That's.
0: A, I absolutely understand what you're talking about, and it's a skill that we require or acquire over the years of training as performers. I think, and and getting up and speaking on stage, and but it also uh, encapsulates a lot of emotional intelligence. I do believe, and just being so present. In the room that you're feeding off of facial expressions, body communication, uh, people are on their phone, people aren't on their phone, et cetera, et cetera. What's a piece of advice that you could give to some of our listeners today that are struggling with putting down the script and not just reading verbatim? And look, I, I see it all the time with people who are veterans as executives, and they're still standing there with their scripts. How what would you? recommend that they do to let go of that and trust.
1: Get some coaching. <laughs> and, and like, oh, get that some was brilliant. Training. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. <laughs> no, honestly, it's it's about you know you can't do this stuff on your own. You've Perfect. got to improvise. You've got to you've got to uh, improvise. You've got to learn to trust your gut. You you have to keep your eye on your audience. Um you've got to have Options and stories, and you can't often do that on your own. It's and a skill. It's, it's a, skill. a skill, like any other skill. People go yeah. to uni and they learn skills for accounting and, and science and engineering or math, math, whatever it is, but they don't learn the art of improvisation. Mm-hmm. And improvisation, thinking on your feet, being grounded, being in. Can, you know, in contact is important. And I think our education system has a lot to answer for because during our formative years, well, now it's a little different. You know, kids are, kids are learning differently and it, it it's fun. But um, what, what seems to be happening now or beforehand is that people weren't learning in the same way and they weren't learning communication in the same way. So mm. what that meant was when they got into a, a, a um, CEO role, what happened? Exactly. They gravitated back to what they did in school with a piece of, of paper, and it immobilizes them. If you can't go um, mentally, physically, where you're going mentally, you're stuck. So you've got to you've got to go. You've got to let those those shackles go, and go physically, so you can mentally go with you. So that you know, it's movement and and it mm. and it's energy, mm. and it's trusting yourself that. You don't need the script. Yes, you do need points. Yes, you do need points. Yeah, you do need structure and practice you and research and mm. but then you know what? Then you can actually um be playful. People want natural, they don't want contrived. And and if you're contrived, you they they will check out and they will yeah. start looking at their files. If people get if people
0: have Paid you or invited you to be on that stage? Yeah, they've invited you because they know that you've got the goods. Yeah, and if you're going to stand there and read that piece of paper, just send them an email. Correct. Don't don't turn up. No, exactly. Just stop exactly. it. Anybody because
1: can read your your notes.
0: Yes, Anybody anyone can read your notes, and. Exactly. It, and I think that, you know, for me to change this culture and see people embracing that, that, you know, go back to many years ago and I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, the the keynote speaker or the person that's invited to come and speak started back, you know, in the days of the professor who would be invited to come in and talk about the the new vaccine that he's found that's saving cancer or something. And he's come in and he gives you all of that information. We need to try and come back to that, that if you're invited to be up on that stage, you're there because you know your stuff. Exactly. Don't try and start to become something else. Work out what's your model of the world. If you need to walk, walk. If you need to stand behind a a, um, a plinth, do that. Whatever works for you in your model, but be yourself and bring your expertise and your experience to the stage.
1: You asked about, you know, the imposter syndrome before. When people are not comfortable enough to let the paper go and they're holding on to it, They, you can feel that they feel like they're an imposter giving that presentation. And because they're an imposter to themselves. Hilarious. And they're <laughs> imposter to themselves. So yeah. the, the the trick of, about doing the, is in the mind more than anything else is to say you've earned the right to be the sponsor, the CEO, whatever it is. Um, now let other people know the best the best part of you, not what you've written down. Send send them a white paper, send them a document, send them the slides. Otherwise, yeah. anybody can get up there and do that reading. That's right.
0: And what do you do, if anything, to prepare yourself physically? You know, it's quite, it's quite demanding getting, getting up on stage and you have to have a certain level of physical fitness, endurance. Yeah. What, what is your routine there? Um,
1: well, I'd like to say it's perfect, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that I've given up coffee, but I haven't. <laughs> but I, do, I don't drink coffee before a presentation. I never drink alcohol before a presentation or, or after as well, um, so that that's really important. Physical fitness is um, important from the from the core, you know, from our core. I think that's really important to be strong um, and making sure that our breath control is good. So a lot of voice and breathing exercises always work particularly well because that's going to enable my voice to meet the other parts Mm. of the room um, and modulate it. So I look after my voice um, really well. So I'm hydrated, um, warm water, never cold water. Um, I've always got a a little mint or cough lolly next to me in case sometimes, you know, there's dust or whatever it can catch you in the throat. So I've Mm. always got something. Mm. And and if it happens, I always let the audience know that I'm going to pop it in my mouth so I don't Mm. try and hide
0: hide that as well um did you know that um the the voice Straw, which is the sponsor of this podcast is something that i have become a distributor of here in australia and i encourage everyone that i work with singers and the executives to make sure that they're getting their voices going and having a tool and having a measure. Have you ever heard of the voice store or used a tool like that? No, but I'd love
1: to learn about that.
0: Thank you. Okay. If I could send you, and I've got all your details, so it's a fantastic little system and I'm going to send you a pack and I think that you might benefit from particularly for your people like you've got your your exercises I would imagine that work for you but for people who don't this is a great system so I'm going to send that to you I just wanted to mention that to you hearing
1: you Thank talk you. about that but, you know I've got the jaw exercises and I've got the me mama all of the, the general ones hmm. um I think there's also it's it's worthy also of talking about what happens after the presentation in terms of of voice as well and adrenaline mm-hmm. Because you know, adrenaline is artificial when you're presenting in many ways it pushes through at 100 miles an hour and you're giving everything you've got and I found for a long time that on completion of a presentation my energy would drop dramatically mm. and you know all of a sudden you go and you're exhausted and you and overcome with fatigue um and and I think it's worthy of recognising that for a lot of people who are going to present in, in, and in front of people, they will get tired mm. um, and how to recover quickly with a protein. Um, so I've always got protein and nuts or a banana or something like that rather than sugars because sugars are going to, that's part of my routine, I'll always take that with me. Great it's advice. i starving yeah. after a big presentation and yeah. I will be very thirsty. So I've got to have. You know, hydrate with water, warm warmish water, and protein, um, and good foot, good footwear. Actually, is really important. I'm really oh, isn't it? I can be in bare feet, bare feet, which I am now, which I love it. But you know, I've I, I've, I've looked at my high heels back in the cupboard. And I don't think so. Then I don't. I'm not fancy putting those things back on again. I don't even know how. Yeah. Um, and I think now that you know, we've we've got to use. Um, our whole body in a presentation. And I think the whole body um, is is what's been missing when people have just used their top voice or their top breath Mm -hmm. and it gets jammed up here like a traffic jam and it's all Mm -hmm. blocked up and they're talking in in their head. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the whole body is part of feeling good in yourself and it removes that imposter syndrome. It removes that fake voice. Yes. That whole inflection. When you're anchored in your body, you can't give like that if you're, if, you're, if you're anchored. It just doesn't work.
0: No, no. Perfect. Okay, so we're coming to the end of our podcast. I could talk to you all day. But what is one piece of advice that you would give to help the listeners reconnect with their voices?
1: I, I think understand what your message is. mm I mean, you know, if, if find out what you stand for. What What's your value? What's you What is the most important message you want to share with others? And when you're clear on what that message is, the voice follows that message. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I don't think it has to be any any more profound than just people spending time on what is really important for you. What do you want? What do you stand for? What's your value? Mm-hmm. And when you know that value and you can articulate it um, to others, first of all to yourself, mm-hmm. but to others, you, the voice follows, and mm-hmm. and it comes from the right place. Yeah. You can't manufacture it. If you're trying to give someone else's elevator pitch or whatever it is, you can't because it has to be your own. Has to be your own, absolutely. So,
0: what's next for you? What's next to reach your fullest potential?
1: Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment, and let let me play to my strengths. Mm-hmm. Don't take on too much, mm-hmm. so to I've got more. time to breathe around the things that I love to do. Um, and that flows, that energy that I've got time now to, that I've allowed time for brings in the new bodies of work, which are really exciting right now, like loving working with you uh, today um, and doing some emceeing for Europe next week, although it's at 11 mm. o'clock at night <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, new opportunities, just taking a breath and not trying to fill every moment with... Um, Something that, like I did before,
0: yeah, and playing with those beautiful
1: grandchildren, and playing with my gorgeous grandchildren. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, thank you for joining us, and of course, if anyone wants to get into con into contact with you, we will have all of your your hashtags and your connections uh, on the content. So, thank you, Ricky. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard, and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan-Bell, and together we are the woman's voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.